Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our great series in the book of Matthew, the series called The Mysteries of Compassion. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 to 12, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled Standing on Guard. Many Christians lack discernment. What I mean is, they lack the ability to thoroughly investigate the truth claims they hear. That's not just true of Christians, of course. Are you careful about what you eat, or you just assume that any food is good food, whether it's chips and pop or, you know, fish and whole grains? In our day, the the phrase fake news, well, that's becoming a very explosive issue. You know, how are we to trust the media or the internet or so many other sources that we have come to rely on for information? Can we sift through that without gullibly accepting everything we hear? Or here's another example of the need for discernment. Let's say you're about to invest your money in real estate. Are you able to discern a good investment from one that's likely to lose you money? Your future depends on discernment in so many ways, and yet a great many people do lack discernment, and that's what fraudsters are counting on. You know, I've gotten more than one phone call on my personal phone. It claims to be from the tax department. It's a recording that says I'm soon going to be under investigation and that in order to avoid prison, all I have to do is give up all my financial information to the nameless caller. It's It's fascinating. I mean, how dumb do they think I am that I can't spot an obvious scam like that? And yet I suspect there are people who are easy prey for just such a thing. Many people lack discernment. Let me get back to Christians and our need for spiritual discernment. See, here's an example. I've heard people who listen to all preachers and they listen to them by the bucket load. Doesn't matter if it's a verse-by-verse Bible teacher rooted in the historic Christian faith and who knows the gospel well, or if it's someone who is, you know, let's say, word faith, and then someone else who simply helps people believe and confess positive things about themselves, and then they'll listen to someone who denies the Trinity, and they, they seem to be blessed by just everybody. Anyone who communicates well and dishes out spiritual food, be it good food or poison, they just consume it all. No discernment. You know, in many ways, that's what you have in Jesus' day. People are listening to the different religious teachers among them. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There were others as well. And then there was Jesus. And the crowds loved Jesus because he was healing the sick. And then they were also able to desert him when someone said something else. They were swayed by everything and everyone, eating and drinking it all in, not knowing who was right, always swayed by the last person they listened to. So let's get to our text. As we've studied Matthew, we've seen first Jesus feeds the 5,000, then the 4,000, and with a, a number of other miracles thrown into boot. But now Jesus has just gotten into a dispute with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're the religious establishment from Jerusalem who have come to put him in his place. Well, following that encounter, we come to Matthew 16, 5 to 7. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. At first glance, the inability of the disciples to understand what Jesus is saying just sounds astonishing. But I like to give them a break. You know, the disciples should have collected the leftovers after the feeding of the 4,000, and they should have taken care of basic provisions. 
<laughs> it would appear that no one had done that. And no doubt, they now felt guilty about their neglect. They had gotten so involved in what Jesus was doing and saying, let's say, that they hadn't taken care of the administrative duties around Jesus. However, the Greek word for had forgotten, well, that's a word that often implies willful neglect. From that, we have to assume that, you know, perhaps they were pushing this duty off on each other, no one assuming the duty. I mean, given their history of one-upmanship with each other, you know, it's possible that they might have assumed that this was the duty of the person who is at the bottom of the ladder. Well, we don't know that, but at any rate, they're smarting under the admission that they hadn't done their duty. And furthermore, they're also quite vulnerable to misunderstanding what Jesus meant by leaven. Now, you might go back to Matthew 13, 33, and, well, that's one of the parables that Jesus told, and he would later explain that to his disciples. Well, there Jesus said, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so Jesus had spoken about leaven in the past, and, and the image of leaven would have meant that something that seems you know, very insignificant at the moment would later have enormous implications. Again, remembering to bring bread, you know, that might not seem significant, but when one is on a rigorous ministry assignment as they were, well, that oversight, well, that might have significant consequences. I mean, everything has to stall while they're out looking for bread now. But still, Jesus had said, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, how do you, you miss that? I mean, he's speaking metaphorically. Again, don't assume these guys have a low IQ. Jesus, according to their way of thinking, might have been saying, look, bread or food is very important for these ministry trips. It's not as inconsequential as you think. So when you buy bread, you gotta make sure that you're never in a position of having to get it from the religious leaders. There are enemies. Don't you be beholden to them. And that also is not a small, insignificant matter. So, you know, from my vantage point, I like to give the disciples credit for missing what Jesus was saying. I mean, after all, it is their neglect to get food that's leaving them now with guilt feelings and making them interpret what Jesus is saying through their grid of guilt. Now, of course, Jesus perceives something much greater than their misunderstanding. Matthew 16, 8 to 10 says, But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? I find Jesus responds to what I would have taken to be a misunderstanding. Well, he responds in a much more serious fashion. It's not just that you don't understand what I say. It's that you don't understand what I say because you still have a very small quotient of faith. And so in order to demonstrate that, Jesus asks his disciples a series of questions, four of them. And with each question, he doesn't actually wait for the answer. That's because it's the cumulative effect of all four of those questions that was supposed to make the point. So the first question, you know, why are you discussing about bread at all? What makes your minds go to that? Now, yes. Uh, why did we immediately think that this is what Jesus was concerned about? Is he really that concerned about bread, or is it we that are that concerned about bread? The second question comes hard on the heels of the first, so there's no time to answer the first question. Do you not yet perceive? Well, the phrase not yet, well, that seems to indicate there's a lesson they should have learned a long time ago. It's a, a lesson they haven't grasped. No, not yet. 
Now, what is it that they should have seen immediately and they don't yet see? Well, they don't know, but then the third question follows. I fed 5,000 people with five loaves and we had 12 baskets left over. The question is, why, if you're thinking about not having bread, why don't your minds immediately go to that? I mean, we might have forgotten to bring bread, but don't you think, given what you've experienced from my hand, that I can't take care of those situations with ease? Ah, yeah. That answers the second question too, doesn't it? Why weren't we able to perceive that? Why haven't we learned the lesson yet? Jesus is among us. We have more than we need. What prevents us from saying, well, now, we really blew it. We forgot bread, but praise God, we have Jesus. He takes care of all the details we might not have seen. His power is always enough. You see, what little faith they had. And Jesus' fourth question seems very similar to the third. You know, when I fed the 4,000, he asks, how did that go down? Well, now, it's true, you know, that he repeated the very same miracle. It was done not once but twice, and if so, again, it puts greater weight on the second question. Why, since Jesus had reinforced the matter by doing the same miracle twice, did they not immediately jump to the conclusion that as long as they had Jesus, they had more than enough? You know, it's important to pause a moment and just make application here. It's not that the disciples had no faith. They had some, but in many ways, they're just like us, aren't they? We trust Jesus at least to a certain point. But when it comes to practical matters, we often lose faith. How am I going to make ends meet? What if I lose my job? What if matters change and I can't pay the bills? And isn't it amazing that almost all of us will say, I believe that Jesus' death on the cross paid for my sins and that he's opened up a doorway into the Holy of Holies through his own body. Yeah, my future is taken care of. Did you know that requires great faith? Oh, it does. And then having said that, well, what do we do next? We worry about what we shall eat and what we shall wear. Oh, you of little faith, have you not yet learned? Hi, this is Joshua from InDoubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. Every week, InDoubt invites young adults into a conversation about the very real and challenging questions of faith, life, and culture. Our goal is to confront life's issues with the help of guest pastors and Christian leaders and to dive into the Bible to discover its truth and relevance for living life as a follower of Jesus. Join myself, Daniel, or Isaac every week along with special guests from around the globe to discuss things that matter most to you. Our hope is to reach not only the young adult who stands firm in their faith, but also the one who has questions or doubts. In Doubt can be heard through our podcast, mobile app, or on radio, and you can check out all of our programs and resources at indoubt.ca. In Doubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada and possible only through the generous gifts of those who share our heart to engage a new generation with the Bible. For more information, or if you would like to support In Doubt with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit indoubt.ca. The conversation started with Jesus warning his disciples to to be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then the conversation is sidetracked because of the short-sighted lack of faith of the disciples. There was still so much they needed to learn about faith. But Jesus isn't going to be sidetracked long. He's got something important to teach his disciples, and it is imperative for them that they learn it immediately. 
So let's read Matthew 16, 11, and 12. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, now, what is it that Jesus wanted them to understand? Is it not this, that when the Pharisees and Sadducees taught, even the things that didn't seem significant would function like leaven, and it would eventually permeate everything they thought? You've got to be on your guard, he says. You've got to discern what they say. You've got to know why they're wrong, and you've got to know not to integrate their teachings into your theology. That's what Jesus is saying. See, the Bible makes it a priority that every child of God should learn discernment. We should all know how to separate truth from error. Let's do a little Bible study on the importance of discernment. Start in the First Testament. Proverbs 14, verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. That is, those who are able to be discerning, they can go forward on a wise path, but those who are not discerning, they're going to go down the road of folly. Or consider what Solomon prayed when he became king. It's found in 1 Kings 3, verse 9. He prayed, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? You see, to a large part, discernment is to know it when we see something that's evil and to know it when we see something that's good. Let's go to the New Testament. James 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That is, you should be praying about this thing, discernment. Make it a priority. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Listen, test everything. Don't let those things that are evil simply slip by without asking, what is the moral quality of this thing, this teaching, this doctrine that is now being taught to me? But let's apply this to what Jesus is saying. You must be very careful what the religious teachers of Israel are teaching, he says. For instance, when the Sadducees say there's no resurrection from the dead, it's not just an opinion. That's a teaching. That's called a doctrine. And that teaching leads those people to become the kind of people they are. They live for riches. They make immoral deals with the Romans. They sabotage the lives of others. And Why wouldn't they do that? They do it because they think there is no judgment at the end of the age, and therefore they think they will never be called to account for what they do. That's been their teaching, and their doctrine affects everything they do. It's just like yeast. Now, in this regard, think also about other forms of teaching that allows people to live immoral lives. You know, some time ago there was a teaching, it was a theology, it's called the theology of inclusiveness. It was all the rage. It taught that the only way to be saved was through the atoning work of Jesus, him dying on his cross for us. It sounds good, right? Yeah, but they also taught that Jesus' death on the cross saves everyone. In the end of the day, they said, Jesus will save those who have never trusted in him through his cross. God is just that good, they said. I mean, one of the books that heralded this message was a book entitled, The Wideness of God's Mercy. I mean, the idea was that God is far more merciful than, than you rigid guys had ever believed. Can God do anything? Yeah, he can. Well, then he can even save those who never look to Christ for salvation. Look how merciful God is. Well, now, the minute you believe that, 
What do you do with the biblical apostolic message, the one found in the Bible? You know, the first sermon that was ever preached in the history of the church ended as Peter cried out, save yourselves from this crooked generation. See, apparently Peter thought those people were in in great danger of the final judgment. They needed to be saved. Or the book of Romans begins with the declaration of the wrath of God. Or Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 says, for if we go on sinning, It then goes on to say there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. doesn't say everyone's going to be saved. It says quite the opposite. And Jesus himself said, well, narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and only a few, he said, will find it. And Revelation 20, verse 15 says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. So do you see, there are those who will flippantly despise the doctrine of the last judgment, they'll despise the reality of the lake of fire, and they will despise the necessity of repentance and faith. I've heard people like this flippantly ask, well, you know, you don't go to hell for not believing in hell. And then the naive and the undiscerning are immediately sucked into that logic. It hits them like leaven. So let me spell it out. If you begin to believe that Jesus will just save everyone, that there is no eternal judgment, here's what happens. First, you have to discount a great deal of the Bible's teaching on this matter. Second, you have to discount the teaching of Jesus because he spoke about hell more often than any other person found in the Bible. And third, the passion for evangelism and mission and the sacrifice that's required to bring the saving news of Jesus into the world, that's going to be lost. And fourth, the requirement of faith, which includes both repentance from your sins and trust in the power and merits of Christ, that's going to be abandoned. And so when someone flippantly asks, well, surely you don't go to hell for failing to believe in hell. Well, you might say, yeah, I guess that's not important after all. Understand, however, that's yeast. It seems to some as if it's not that important, but in the end of the day, that doctrine will permeate through everything. What is required is discernment to know just how destructive these doctrines of the Sadducees are to believers. How about Pharisees? What of them? Well, you remember that the key problem of the Pharisees was that they made doctrines out of the traditions of men. And the example that was given was the example of Corban. Yeah? You're required to care for your parents in their old age. The Bible says that. And yet the Pharisees had devised a system in which you could take that which you owe to your parents and you could bequeath it to the temple. And then you'd be out from under your biblical and parental obligations. So you see, traditions and how we now act takes precedence over the teaching of the Bible. And there are all manner of traditions that replace the plain teaching of the commands of Scripture. I remember some time ago, a very popular teaching is, you know, Christians don't need to repent of their sins. I mean, after all, this is how these teachers reasoned. Christ has already paid for all of our future sins on the cross. And if that's so, why worry about repentance? The matter's already been cared for. And besides, so few churches today now make a practice of corporate confession for sins. And also, it's quite frequent now for Christians to be discipled without teaching them to daily confess their sins. Now, immediately, the discerning will respond and say, hey, wait a minute. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Ah, yeah, that was his model for praying Christians. 
That's how Christians are to pray. That's how he taught us. Well, now, in spite of fancy footwork and believable theology, do you see, we've developed traditions that ignore the Bible. What do we make of that? Well, did you know that the Bible is the only reliable guide you can have for both faith and practice? Did you know that the only way to discern whether or not you're in the will of God is by the Bible? And what if you accept the proposition that historic traditions can take precedence over the Bible? What then? Well, look, what starts out as a seemingly small thing, while some traditions are more important than Scripture, it eventually becomes a large thing. I no longer listen to the Scripture, and in the process, I will no longer hear what the Scripture instructs me. I will no longer look to it for eternal life. Instead, I will look to my traditions. This is the tradition we walk in, we say. That's exactly what happened to the Pharisees. That's why they didn't recognize Jesus. That's why they missed out on eternal life. It's called yeast. How it starts with a small thing. I like this one teacher. Yeah, he or she might not be exactly biblical, but they've got so many other good things to say to me. And then like yeast, it obscures the spiritual direction of one life after another. Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John, my mind goes to just a little bit about our own personal responsibility. We can be drawn in so many different directions, or the yeast can spread in so many different ways. Sometimes yeast that that doesn't provide us truth. We have to take some personal responsibility for the Word of God, don't we? We sure do. Boy, I'm glad you said that, Ben. You know, the responsibility that each of us has is to regularly read Scripture. Can I say it even more strongly? God wants you to regularly read Scripture. Scripture is the Word of God. You need to feed on it. It's more important than having breakfast. You need to think of the Word of God as that thing which sustains you. You need to get your nose in the book. You need to read it through systematically. Uh, I argue read it through at least once every year. I have read it so often that it becomes second nature to you, and so that when you hear a false teaching, you immediately identify it and give it no quarter so that it doesn't permeate your mind and you begin to act according to false teaching. Um, Yeah, you have a responsibility to read. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series in the book of Matthew, The Mysteries of Compassion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Dr. John Newfeld. In the past five years, I found myself in a ministry role I would never have imagined. At first, I have to admit, the move from pastor to sitting in a studio behind a microphone, well, it seemed strange. But over time, having heard firsthand stories of God at work, I could have not been more convinced I'm right where God wants me to be. Thank you for your kindness and encouragement and supporting this ministry with your gifts and prayers. In gratitude, I want to send you a gift, my newest series, Faith and What We Hope For, and a special edition of our 2020 Highlight Reel series. Five of my most requested messages from the past five years are in that one package. It's just a modest way of saying thanks for being with me. So call today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca and request faith in what we hope for and we'll automatically send you our 2020 Highlight Reel series. It's my gift and it's free. 
please continue to stand with us in 2020.